Is anyone listening? Does anyone care? Oh, there you are. Welcome to Citizens Climate Radio. In this podcast, we highlight people's stories. We celebrate your successes, and together we share strategies for talking about climate change. I am your host, Peterson Toscano. Congratulations, you have made it to the very first episode of Citizens Climate Radio, a project of Citizens Climate Education. This episode is airing on Monday, June 27th, 2016. I have some very special guests who I will tell you about in a moment. But first, what is this new podcast all about? The folks at Citizens Climate Education have a mission. It is to give ordinary citizens the power to educate political leaders, the media, and the general public about climate change solutions. I've designed this monthly podcast to provide some of the tools you need to be effective educators and communicators around climate change solutions. I want to see you fully equipped for those essential encounters with friends, co-workers, the media, political leaders, and yes, even that cranky uncle you sometimes dread seeing at family gatherings. Teachers in schools get together often to talk about their lesson plans and classroom encounters. In that spirit, I believe we each have successes, dilemmas, and best practices to share with each other. Therefore, an important part of Citizens Climate Radio is that you will be regularly invited to contribute to the program. We have set up a special email account that goes directly to me. That email address is radio at citizensclimate.org. That's radio at citizensclimate.org. Don't worry if you didn't catch that. I will say it more than once before the end of today's show. We also have a voicemail line set up so you can call in and leave a comment, ask a question, make a suggestion, or answer our Citizens Climate Puzzler that I will tell you about at the end of today's show. In addition to helping you become better climate educators, there is something else we are shooting for here in this show. We know that climate work is hard work. Talking about climate change, it can feel like no one is listening and no one cares. So another important goal of this show is to encourage you in the work you are doing. I recently spoke with a former first grade teacher who now works full-time on advocating for climate solutions. Madeline Perra is the program director for Citizens Climate Lobby. She is one of the people who encouraged me to create this program for you. In just a few years, since she began volunteering as a citizen lobbyist in her state of Wisconsin, Madeline has become an effective climate communicator. She regularly meets with lawmakers in Washington, D.C. and in her district. She also trains other volunteers, but she did not always exude calm and confidence when speaking to the powers that be. I asked her about her first lobbying experience. I was about to die of nervousness. I had that feeling of, who am I to talk to Congress? Why would they listen to a first grade teacher? Why would they care what I have to say? But they did listen, and they continue to listen. Madeline has learned a lot since then. She particularly understands the need to encourage each other in this work. She shared with me her thoughts behind this new podcast. It's hard to be a climate advocate. It's hard to point your nose into what's happening out there and talk to your neighbors and... So I, I wanted to be kind of a 
a reminder of, of the bigger picture and of who we are and of, of the we're not alone. It, I, it makes me think, I want it to be like having a little mini conference, you know, like that's what we get out of the conference here is that sense of connection and inspiration and, and hope. So that's, that's what I'd like the radio show to do. So if you want some inspiration, connection, and hope, you have come to the right place. In each episode, we will also visit the Art House. Through the Art House section of the show, I share something creative with you. It might be a song, a poem, a review of a film or book. Understanding the science behind climate change is important, of course. Equally important, we need to understand how to tell stories well, our own stories, and the story of our time. Writers, musicians, visual artists, filmmakers, and yes, even comics draw on the ancient art of storytelling. In the Art House today, you will hear a comic monologue that explores the five stages of hot climate action. Let me introduce the main section of today's show. You will hear a story about beginnings. It is also a story about transformations, and it is a story about friendship. In this story, two businessmen caught up in their own lives and careers experience personal breakthroughs. Through their friendship, they start a climate movement. Meet Marshall Saunders. first became concerned about climate change in 2006. A year later, he founded Citizens Climate Lobby. Since that time, CCL has grown in numbers and influence with over 35,000 volunteer lobbyists. They meet members of Congress. They engage the public through the media. They regularly facilitate respectful and thoughtful conversations about climate solutions. Marshall Saunders has created a culture of caring and respect for others and responsibility for how we live on the planet. But from his earliest years, you would never guess he would go in this direction. Like I wasn't a mean green activist or anything like that. I was in business, for goodness sakes. I was in the shopping center construction and building and paving over the land. Yet he literally paved paradise and put in a parking lot. He was that guy. Marshall Saunders hailed from a conservative family of entrepreneurs in Texas. On the outside, he looked like a confident, successful businessman. But inside, he felt isolated, afraid, and angry. I pulled myself away from other people to be separate. And I summed it up as separate and superior. That was my way of going through life. I was essentially afraid, afraid of people. It starts with fear and separateness, but it can proceed to, you know, even to hatred. But then life took a strange turn, and reluctantly, at first, Marshall went along with it. A friend invited me to go to a workshop on personal growth. Uh, I went to this thing. I thought, what am I doing here? I didn't see all these people need to be here, but what am I doing here? <laughs> and the guy who was leading us says, we don't get many people like you here. <laughs> How did you get here? I said, I walked, walked out that night. I said, I'm not coming back. I'm not coming back tomorrow. It's a three-day workshop. 
And there were two young ladies who pleaded with me in such a way that there's, you know, there's something here for you. And I thought, well, okay, I'll, I'll give it another day. And he stuck it out. Marshall began a journey of self-awareness that made him more sensitive to the suffering of others. Over the years, he then used his business savvy to assist people harmed by hunger and poverty. He joined an organization called Results. They used an innovative approach to address hunger in the world. They called on and trained volunteer advocates who successfully lobbied lawmakers and world leaders. Marshall volunteered with results for 17 years. He built community, and he broke out of that isolation he felt for so long. He also began to open up to the world around him to see and feel. Decades after that first self-improvement seminar, Marshall Saunders came to a place where he could no longer ignore the changing world around him. He came face to face with the seriousness of climate change. Well, the, f- the first thing I remember was in the everyday paper, there was a, uh, an article, and it said that in five years, everybody is going to be talking about climate change. And I thought, I think that's right. You know, I just felt like in myself it was right. I didn't say anything out loud. When the movie An Inconvenient Truth came out, I went to see it. And I thought, holy socks, I had no idea how much trouble we'd gotten ourselves into. Alarmed by the reality of climate change, Marshall needed to do something immediately. He first turned to the various groups already doing climate work. He respected them, but felt that they did not have a way for him to get involved. So, like the entrepreneur he was, Marshall realized he needed to start his own group to do something that hadn't been done before. But he needed help, and he knew where to turn. You know, I knew I couldn't run it. If I tried to run it, it wasn't going to go very far. But I did know Mark. I had met Mark in the improvement seminars, self-improvement seminars that I had taken. Mark, knowing him and knowing he could run it. Meet Mark Reynolds. Like Marshall, Mark, too, was a businessman, a successful, fast-talking, ambitious, and confident businessman. I was leading in-house productivity programs for companies. Boeing and NASA were my primary customers. I was leading programs to, to improve the effectiveness of their key people. I loved it, and I think I did it pretty well. I would also get comments like, other programs delivered workshops, you changed our lives. Mark saw what was going on in the world around him, but like many of us, he could not face it. Not yet. I had a burning passion for the environment that I had kept stuffed down. I can't stand to see animals lose habitat. So if you'd see something in the paper about, you know, this animal doesn't have, you know, enough room to live in, I'd just turn the page. I couldn't even, I couldn't read it. There wasn't really something that was on the surface of a burning passion. There was a more like, I think things might be worse than I think they are, and if I ignore it long enough, I'm sure that somebody else will fix it. Marshall wasn't going to let that happen. He saw something special in Mark, yet he recognized that getting Mark to head up this new climate endeavor was a hard sell, risky business. 
at the time he had three kids in college and well employed, was he going to take a big risk? Because I was the sole funder of the thing. Was he going to do that? And for a good while, he, you know, he, he just wanted to coach me without leaving his employment. Marshall started approaching me and saying that he wanted me to come run the organization. And this seemed like the single stupidest idea I'd ever heard. Combining Congress and global warming. Like you take the two most screwed up things, oh, let's combine them. <laughs> you know, what can be better than that? <laughs> so actually what my strategy was, if I could just help him a little bit, and give him enough advice that he'd leave me alone that I could with good conscience say I helped out a little bit. I would meet with him once a month. We would have breakfast at this place called Hobnob Hill. And he would bring me a little bit more science and I would get a bit of a pit in my stomach. So I was getting kind of an annoying, oh, this might be worse and his thing might work out. All of Marshall's lobbying efforts began to pay off. One day, Mark agreed to head to Washington, D.C. with Marshall and scientist Danny Richter. Marshall and Danny wanted to convince members of Congress and their staffs that cap-and-trade was a bad idea. Instead, they should consider a fee on carbon. Even though Mark rolled his eyes at the whole excursion, he went along for the ride. God, we felt great, like we're going to move the world. And uh, Mark says, yeah, three sorry asses moving the world. <laughs> three sorry asses. And the first day, we were terrible. Absolutely terrible. Almost every person without directly saying it just showed us the door. We went back that night and I said, you know, convincing people that cap and trade is a bad thing and that a carbon tax is a better thing isn't working. How about we try something else? And so I said, how about if tomorrow we only go in and see if we can find, if we have some common ground with these people? And if we can establish that, let's see what happens. So what happened then was every meeting that day was mind-blowing. And that really scared me because I thought, whoa, uh, everything I've learned that applies to everything else could work here. And if this works, can I walk away from it? <laughs> you know, so like, could you look yourself in the mirror ever again? Could you look at your kids if you said, I think I have something that could work, but it looks too hard, so let's not do it. So that moment was actually realizing working with people the way I think you should work with people could work. I had to reevaluate everything at that point. On that trip to D.C., Mark, Marshall, and Danny began to develop a new way to engage people in conversations around climate change. These so-called sorry asses landed on something extraordinary. Finding common ground is an underutilized tool in connecting with other people around the politically charged topic of global warming. Leading with admiration and respect builds relationships with people who could have never imagined working together. You know, I think that what's easy, what's lazy, is to just know what you don't like about people or what you oppose. It doesn't take anything of people. It takes something more to say, what do I have in common with them? People have heard the phrase that I use around here a lot is admiration and respect. Where I actually pulled that from was from a, a piece that I used to read from Heidegger all the time called On Thinking. If you wanted to find a way of actually becoming a useful human being, you would try and broaden your capacity to admire and respect what you could find in people. And I don't mean this to be Pollyannish. I don't mean about anything about being nice. I mean a really a kind of fundamental trying to see people at their most fundamental place. 
Mark left his lucrative job to join Citizens Climate Lobby. He has since dedicated his life to pursuing climate solutions. His friendship with Marshall influenced him in many profound ways. I think of Marshall Saunders earlier in life, separate and superior, living with fear and anger. It gives me hope to see that people grow and change. We are not set in stone. This encourages me in a time of climate change when we are each trying to break through the collective silence around this contentious issue. We can feel so small, so weak in a world with loud voices that drown out reason and thoughtful discussion. Marshall took risks. He trusted other people. He saw in Mark Reynolds someone who could get the job done. And in the organization they built, they regularly call on and trust ordinary citizens to talk to powerful people about climate change. I confess that while chatting with Marshall, I broke down in tears. He has that effect on people. I asked him, how is it that he and Mark and the other staff and volunteers at CCL have been able to motivate tens of thousands of people to regularly engage in thoughtful, respectful action? He grew very tender as he explained. Well, we trust that you are magnificent. I trust that if I have a judgment, I have done seen enough of myself to realize how wrong I could be. And it is trusting that ordinary people can get the job done. It's a, it's a trusting in ordinary people. You know, not people who have made it, not people who are powerful, but ordinary people. You know, and if people are not demonstrating that, well, they can't. They can't. They need a little encouragement, a little breakthrough like I had. So, you know, it's one step at a time. One step at a time. Thank you, Marshall and Mark, for sharing your story with us today. And thanks to Madeline Para for telling us a little bit about her own experience. Mark, Marshall, and Madeline. They're like the three musketeers. And how do I follow up after that? Fortunately, it's time for the art house. In our work to help people listen and help them to care, art is one of our most potent tools. 
For the art house today, I have prepared for you a comic monologue. I am an actor and a comic. Through the years, I've developed a cast of characters. Actually, I'm quite shy, but when I'm in character, I'm downright fearless. I've been thinking about all the changes we each go through, from the moment we wake up to the reality of climate change, to the place where we engage in climate action. So I decided to harness some of my own zany characters to describe my own transformation. So with that, I present to you the five stages of hot climate action. The first stage is when the penny drops and suddenly I realize just how serious climate change is. This is the freakout stage. It's weird, but my freakout voice sounds a lot like my dad. Holy guacamole, it's like the end of the world as we know it. Global warming is going to crush us. Drought, flood, pestilence, whatever that is. From the redwood forest to the Gulf Stream water, we're going to hell in a handbasket. After freaking out for a while, the pendulum swung a little to the other side as I toyed with denial. I, I never came right out and denied climate change, but I toyed with it. And in my head, this is what denial sounded like. Yes, no, I am concerned about the climate change, of course, but uh, perhaps it won't be a catastrophe. Uh, Siberia could use some warming. I mean, we don't know everything yet. I read something somewhere. Maybe they will invent something. This could just be another Y2K. But I could not drive away reality. So the guilt and shame kicked in when I realized that I was part of the problem. In response, I attempted for a time to purge my life of all greenhouse gases. So I changed all my light bulbs. I bought the really expensive, super efficient ones. Then I stopped drying my clothes in the dryer. Well, I also couldn't afford to because of all those expensive light bulbs. And after this radical vegan activist with really bad breath screamed at me, I became a vegetarian for about a week. But then it happened. The despair descended upon me. I realized that my individual efforts were pathetic in light of the size of the problem. But what difference does it make? I purged myself dry. No one around me seems to care. And even if they did lower their own personal carbon footprints in the sand, it's like a teardrop in the ocean which is quickly acidifying. The very roads they build for us are soaked in fossil fuels. The whole infrastructure is out of my control. It's like the trials of Job. Just curse God and die. Yeah, in my head, despair sounds downright biblical. (laughs) But then something happened. I met like-minded people seeking solutions, and I found hope. And even after this Brexit vote recently, my hopeful voice sounds slightly British. We live in extraordinary times. So much uncertainty, dangers, and fears. But this is not our first rodeo. Our ancestors faced myriad challenges together. The Great Depression... World War II, they learned an important truth that we are discovering today. We are not alone. 
of each other, to comfort, to encourage, to join our voices together, and together, dear friends, we shall do the extraordinary. Perhaps you have an idea to present to the Art House. Send your thoughts to radio at citizensclimate.org. Now, before we finish this first episode, I have a puzzler for you. Each show ends with the Citizens Climate Puzzler. I will present a scenario or conundrum about climate change and climate communication. Listeners will send me their answers to the puzzler. I will go through all your answers and share the best on the following episode. These puzzlers won't be about climate science, rather about how to be better communicators during a time of climate change. I set up both an email address, radio at citizensclimate.org, and a voicemail line, 570-483-8194. I'll tell you those again in a moment. So here is this month's puzzler. You were at a party, perhaps a graduation party or something for work, or it doesn't really matter what kind of party. You are chit-chatting, and you let drop that you are concerned about climate change. You mention you're involved in a group that is trying to do something to address it. The person you're chatting with, let's call her Claire, smiles and says, Well, I too am concerned about climate change, but really, I think there are much more pressing issues that we need to address. Hmm. How might you respond in a way that opens up the conversation? See if you can offer an answer that affirms Claire while getting her closer to climate change. Get back to me by July 15th, 2016. You can email your answers to radio at citizensclimate.org. That's radio at citizensclimate.org. Or call me and leave a voicemail at 570-483-8194. That's 570-483-8194. I promise I will read and respond to all of your messages. That is the very first episode of Citizens Climate Radio. The show is written and produced by me, Peterson Toscano. We had audio technical assistance from Chris Palucci from Media Evolution. Other technical support from Ricky Bradley and Tony Sierna. Social media assistance from Ashley Hunt, Mortarano, and Steve Volk. Moral support from Madeline Perra. All of the music we use on the show is licensed unless otherwise specified. Special music for the Art House segment today includes one suite from the free 1920s collection on archive.org. Special thanks to Raul Diez Palamar for the use of that beautiful piano piece from his album Musica para Poder Contra Verdad. Please subscribe on our iTunes channel, Citizens Climate Lobby, or tell me where you like to listen to podcasts. My email again, radio at citizensclimate.org. I'd love it if you rate and review this show wherever you listen. That will help us get more listeners. And we very much welcome your feedback on today's show and suggestions for future shows. Thank you for joining me today. Visit citizensclimate.org slash blog to see info about our puzzler, view some video from the conference, and find contact information. Citizens Climate Radio is a project of Citizens Climate Education. We'll be back next month with more.
Now it's a very good sounding show, but I do hope they open up the door for other people to contribute because I've got something to say. I don't know about you, but I've got something to say. first time I heard you speak and you openly got emotional and wept, mm. that I felt, oh, this is a safe space mm. where, you know, you can be smart and you can be engaged and you can be tender. Mm. And that's a, an amazing gift that mm. you bring um, and that you model so beautifully. Mm. Thank you. <laughs> no well, I train people when they present answer questions. You know, thank okay. people for commenting. Well, Terry Gross does these weird things where she like just says something. Like, talk. Like, that was a close-ended question. How dare they answer that? Um, finally, one okay. last question. Um, tell me a story 